Hello, East Brainerd Church family, and welcome to Easter 2020. Hey, I know that wherever you are, it is a little bit different today. I mean, you're in your living room, you're sitting in your kitchen, maybe some of you are, are still kicked back in bed watching on a tablet. But wherever you are, thank you for being a part of this today with us in our little corner of cyberspace. Even though we can't be together, we are joining in spirit with millions of people around the world to celebrate the fact that our Savior has risen and hope lives. Now, I wish we could have been together today to see one another and to enjoy each other's company and to, to see all those great Easter outfits. But knowing that we would be separated, I, I went online earlier this week and asked, if you didn't mind, to send some pictures of Easter past so that we could enjoy those together. And I just thought I would share a couple of those as we get started. Now, th this first one is a little self-serving. This, this is a picture of my own kids, and I thought I would put this up for their grandparents so they can see what an 18 and 15-year-old used to look like on Easter. And some of you guys did something similar. You sent pictures of your kids when when they were small. We've got kids who are now a part of our youth ministry. And these pictures are when they were a part of, of EB Kids. And man, they looked awesome. And, and some of these pictures, you're going to see some moms and dads that maybe look a little different now than they did just, you know, just a few years ago. Now, my favorite here, I think, is Steve Kahn's picture. This is a great picture of the Kahn family from a couple of years ago. And I'm pretty sure that Steve sent this one in because this was the Easter that he was tall and skinny. And so it was a great job by Steve to sneak this one in. And there were others of you that put your family photos here. Got the Ramies. There's a picture of Sean and, and Sheena and the kids that are on here. And I love this picture of Mac Attack. Look at the big smile and this open mouth. And I think he has this expression because he saw this next picture. Check out Bob. Look at Bob and Charlotte White. Look at the mustache that Bob's got there and the tie. And I love the, um, the, the curls that Jen's got. What a great picture. Some of you were very brave in the pictures that you sent in. A lot of these throwbacks show you at a different time. Some of you have changed a lot. Some of you, not very much. Uh, but John Dyser, John Dyser, what was going on here? I mean, Easter's supposed to be a happy occasion. And so here's what I want you to do. John, you go ahead and take a picture of you and Linda today and uh, shoot that over to me via text or via Facebook or something. We want a good, happy picture of, of John for Easter Sunday. Hey, and thanks to the Easter Bunny also for sending a pic. Uh, we appreciate him being a part as, you know, as well. Guys, I know this is a different time. It is different. This is a day where believers in Jesus Christ traditionally get dressed up in their Easter best and gather together in boisterous celebration. But now it's all been transformed thanks to an invisible foe. And, and so now we have time of quiet remembrance in our homes. And today, preachers from all around the world are proclaiming the power and hope of the resurrection, but they're doing it in empty rooms, a lot like the first Easter. You know, that first Easter was not a crowded worship space with singing and praising. On the very first Easter, the disciples were locked in their homes, and it was dangerous for them to come out. They were afraid. They were living in a time of despair and fear. If they left their homes, their lives and the lives of their loved ones might be at risk. So alone in their homes, they dared to believe that hope was possible. That the long night was over and morning had broken. That God's love was the most powerful thing of all. And even though they didn't really quite understand everything yet, they hoped that a miracle could really have happened. They hoped that perhaps life had truly won out over death. Now, earlier that day, 
a group of women had breathlessly sought out those who had been Jesus' closest followers and told them that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb in which he had been buried. Now, two of Jesus' friends, Peter and John, had gone to investigate, but they were at a loss to explain the events of the day. One follower, Mary Magdalene, had been telling others that she had actually seen and talked with the living Jesus. Now, they wanted to believe the good news that they had heard. They wanted to believe that Jesus had risen, but it just all seemed too good to be true. What were the disciples to make of the day's events? Well, we're going to pick up on their story in the Gospel of John, chapter 20 and verse 19. It's evening. They're meeting behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus stands there in their presence and says, Peace. You know, it's always impressed me how Jesus continually knew the right things to say. To the greedy Zacchaeus, whose love for money had left him with few friends, he said, I want to go to your house. To the adulterous woman whose private sins had become public knowledge, he said, neither do I condemn you. To the desperate father who had run out of options for his tortured son, he said, all things are possible to those who believe. And to a group of scared followers who knew about the resurrection but did not understand it, he said, peace be with you. It was more than just a greeting. It was the truth of the resurrection. His followers could now experience not only the peace of God, but also peace with God. When Jesus joined them in that upper room, the first word out of his mouth was rich with meaning. He said, shalom. And for the Hebrew, the word did not express the absence of chaos. It declared the presence of God. Jesus was telling them, you're not alone. You have not been abandoned. And so we ask ourselves, all right, so what does this mean for me today? Well, I think it means that the resurrection of Jesus can bring peace to our locked rooms. We begin to understand that we're not alone during what has been a very difficult and disappointing time in our life. We've not been abandoned. We've not been abandoned to our greatest fears. And so that means that, well, you can be at peace while sheltering in place. And you can be at peace as you prepare for your next shift at the hospital. You can be at peace when your parents just don't make sense. You can be at peace when you speak with your rebellious child. Your mind can be at peace when you're trying to make sense of the economy. Your heart can be at peace in the attorney's office before you sign the papers, in the doctor's office before you start the chemo. You can be at peace as you pray. You can be at peace as you sleep. You say, well, how's it possible? Well, it's possible because the resurrection of Jesus has brought God's presence to our lives. And that peaceful presence of God acts as a guard for our heart and mind so that we believe that we're not alone and never feel abandoned. And I wonder, what words of peace, what words of peace from Jesus do you need to hear this morning? Do you need to hear him say, hey, don't let your heart be troubled? Or maybe you're going to get through this. You're not alone. Perhaps you need to hear him say, I, I know what you're feeling, or I felt your pain, I've, I've seen your tears, I've, I've heard your prayers. Maybe you need to hear him say, hope lives. Well, in verse 21, Jesus, Jesus told his followers, look, peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. Now, what Jesus had promised to his followers earlier, the fact that they would not be alone, but would enjoy the very presence of God's Spirit, was now a reality. And that spirit would empower them to turn the world upside down. You see, eventually they were able to leave their homes and they went around celebrating and spreading the good news that Jesus was risen, that hope was alive, and that love was the most powerful force on the earth. 
And never again do you read about God's followers locking themselves away because of fear. From this moment on, believers in Jesus as the Christ live lives of reckless abandon. And I think it's a reminder for us that the resurrection story is one of empowerment. Christians who were living in Rome were told that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit that's living within you. You see, the power of the resurrection is not just future-oriented. Meaning the power of the resurrection is not some pie in the sky when we die by and by. Now, some might have given the impression before that the resurrection only impacts our future. That the idea that somehow if we just endure all the misfortunes and injustices and, and viruses of this world, that one day, because of the resurrection of Jesus, well, we'll get pie in the sky when we die by and by. And yet, while Scripture does have this view of the Christian's heavenly home being better and superior to this one, if we read Scripture closely, well, it does not present this idea as the primary point of the resurrection story. I want you to listen how the Apostle Paul connects our lives to the resurrection. He wrote, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. So don't let sin control the way that you live. Do not give over to sinful desires. Do not offer up any part of your body to become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, you give yourselves over completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have life. See, now there is a promise. There's a promise here about what happens in the future, but there's also this story about how we should live in the present. We live the life of the resurrection right now. We're not to be waiting around for some future reward. We're to be giving ourselves completely over to God now, loving and serving others as we fulfill Jesus' prayer that His Father's will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be the answer to life's misfortunes and injustices because hope ripples through our lives, because hope lives in us. You see, salvation, well, it's not just about getting us into heaven. It's about getting heaven into us. It's not about what God wants to do to you. It's about what God wants to do in you. It's about allowing Jesus' kingdom life to permeate our little lives one moment and one choice at a time. French Nobel laureate Albert Camus wrote a book about the bubonic plague breaking out in a town in North Africa. And in that book, there's some riveting exchanges between the town's preacher and the town's doctor. The preacher spends all of his time trying to explain why the plague had fallen upon these people, while the doctor tries to help a few who have fallen ill. Now, you know, more and more people are asking why Christians just seem to spend so much time trying to explain away all the problems in this world, when in reality, what is needed is for God's people to go out and, and help a few. You know, there were two great plagues which swept through the Roman Empire in the early years of Christianity. One came in AD 165 and the other in AD 251. And both times, those plagues killed a third of the population of the Roman Empire. Now, the pagans tried to avoid contact with people who had the plague in order to minimize the risk of contracting the disease. Now, in fact, there are many stories about the pagans taking the sick out and literally throwing them into the gutter to die. Christians, on the other hand, nursed the sick even though some of them died while doing so. Christians were very visible during this time. And historian Will Durant wrote that never had the world seen such a 
dispensation of alms as was now organized by the church. She helped widows, orphans, the sick, prisoners, and victims of natural catastrophes. She frequently intervened to protect the lower orders from unusual exploitation. You know, it was an example of how when hope crosses crisis, God does his best work. And that was the time in history when the church, well, the followers, it was just their norm. And I believe that that time has come again and we can be a part of it. Because we need to begin asking ourselves how followers of Jesus should respond to COVID-19. What do God's people need to do now and in the weeks and months to come? You see, since we've been raised with Christ and because hope lives in us, Scripture wants us to understand that everything we do for the kingdom, no matter how small, ripples into all eternity. That's why Mother Teresa could say that the kingdom comes not because we do great things, but because we do small things with great love. Dear friends, 1 John says, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one that you have heard from the beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you have heard before. Yes, it is also new. Jesus lived this truth, this commandment out, and you are also living it. Jesus looked at his followers and said, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. See, life is not to be a spectator sport where we wait for the game to end. We are to constantly be impacting the lives of others for the glory of God. This means that everything you do has eternal meaning. Every hand you hold, every meal you share, every gift that you give, every kind word, every act of forgiveness, every intervention, every gospel message spoken, every pure relationship, every second chance that you give, everything you do for the kingdom of God, no matter how small, makes a lasting difference. So let's not grow tired in doing what is good, Scripture says. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Guys, we live the life of the resurrection right here and right now. It's a spirit-empowered life where we display the power of the resurrection in our lives and hope lives. You know, there's a growing number of individuals who pick and choose their religion based upon what works for them. I mean, they choose what makes them more kind or patient or tolerant and whatever makes them a better person and helps them treat others well. Now, I believe that Jesus living and resurrected in your life can make you more kind and, and patient and more tolerant. But we call Jesus Lord not because his story works for us and not because it makes us better, but because we believe it's true. We believe that Jesus came into this world sent from God himself and that he lived a sinless life and died as a sacrifice and was resurrected. And we have staked our lives on the truth of this story. And our lives bear witness to that story's continuing hope. You see, looking at the resurrection is not just an historical study. Because the hope of the resurrection doesn't just reside in Scripture. It resides in you. So the question is not, what would Jesus do? The question is, what is Jesus doing through you? Easter is not an event just to celebrate one time a year. It's a life to be lived every day. And so this is different. And these times are different. And we get to experience an Easter perhaps like it was in the beginning. We're in our homes daring to believe that hope is on the horizon. And after a while... When it's the most loving choice, we will come out and we'll gather together and we'll shout and we'll sing that God brings life even out of death and that love does have the final say. Until then, open up your windows and throw wide your doors and shout for all to hear that the tomb is empty. 
Christ is risen and hope lives. Happy Easter, everybody. Shout, sing. Hey, it's a great day. We love you. Peace and blessings upon all your families.